from Tokyo, Japan, I'm Frank Ling. And from Chicago, Illinois, I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's show, killing bacteria and immune system. In addition, we'll be joined by Dr. David Lee, who will talk about biosolar. So, stay tuned for all this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And the world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. I'm Frank Ling. And I guess that makes me Charles Lee. Frank, it's New Year's Eve. Yeah, I feel like my time's running out. Is it true that we're getting like one extra second this year? We do have the leap second that comes because of the Earth slowing down. I'll try to live to uh, see it. Well, I'm, I'm glad you'll hang on for, for that. <laughs> and of course, uh, what did you think of the Nobel Prizes this year? <laughs> do, you, do you remember any of them? <laughs> well, of course, the only one I, I remember offhand is Shira Nambu, who's over here at the University of Chicago, obviously. <laughs> He didn't make the trip out to Stockholm. They awarded it to him here via satellite. Actually, the prize for chemistry quite interesting. The one Japanese professor who discovered the uh, fluorescent right, compounds. The green fluorescent would, protein. Yeah, for a jellyfish. It's basically a standard marker tool now in uh, biology. People can't live without the GFP. Right. And it turns <laughs> out his son was a pretty interesting character, right? He was at some point a computer hacker and was the one that helped the FBI catch uh, Kevin Mitnick, the uh, notorious cyber hacker. Cool. I, I'm sure uh, 2009 will be a great year for science as well. It's like wine, right? Gets better with age. <laughs> hey, you gotta work on those dolphins one of these days. So long and thanks for all the fish. <laughs> How you doing, Frank? Kind of itchy, actually. You know, it's good to have an immune system. <laughs> Sometimes it works. And it turns out scientists have been working on that for a very long time and also uh, treat allergies when your immune systems become hyperactive. It turns out there's a uh, alternative way to uh, inject allergens into your skin. So the idea was that in a traditional uh, therapy for people who had severe allergies was that they would inject allergens under the uh, patient's skin to make them desensitive to allergens that they're normally exposed to. And over time, as they increase the dose, your body would adjust and then they would also get adjusted to the ambient concentration of these allergens. The problem is that a lot of these injections do not really work. They have side effects or simply they just don't work. A scientist led by uh, Thomas Kundig, have discovered that if they inject directly into the lymph nodes, this is where the cells of the immune system congregate, it turns out that the effect is much better, there's fewer side effects, and it looks like there's a higher success rate. Uh, so traditionally, they just injected right under the skin, but now what they're trying to do is inject directly to the lymph nodes. All right, so going straight for the source. Yes, and it also turns out that this procedure is less painful uh, you know, I'd I like to try it out some point, one of these days, but, <laughs> you know, there's a maybe, first time for everything. Right. Uh, why don't they just inject straight into my eye, and maybe that'll be fast. <laughs> they think that people who are suffering from things like hay fever might be able to right. benefit from this kind of procedure. Wow. Right. So this is exciting work. It's carried out by uh, Thomas Kundig, University Hospital of Zurich in Switzerland, and it's published in our very favorite journal. <laughs> You know, this journal has so much good stuff, I I'm not sure why everyone in the world doesn't read this journal. You know, I wonder. I, I gotta get one exclusive copy just for my bathroom. <laughs> it's, of course... The Proceedings. Of the National... Academies... Of Sciences. 
Penis. All right, well, uh, speaking of your immune system, researchers now have been able to trap bacteria and kill them with light. So, like, laser beams? <laughs> well, something like that. Uh, essentially, what researchers uh, at the University of New Mexico have done is they've created these photoactive capsules hmm. that can attract, trap, and kill bacteria. These bacteria better not open their eyes, huh? <laughs> they can check in, but they won't check out. <laughs> Are these capsules specifically targeted just for bacteria? What they say is it can attract gram-negative bacteria, uh-huh. and the capsules are essentially constructed by alternating layers of anionic and cationic phenylene and ethinylene materials onto a magnesium carbonate template. It traps these bacteria, and then when it's exposed to white light, there's a generation of singlet oxygen and other reactive oxygen species, which then can go in and attack these uh, bacteria. Even like bleach them out. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> So how do they know that this stuff doesn't also kill the good cells? Uh, well, it's probably something about the uh, cell membrane of gram-negative bacteria, but I uh -huh. imagine uh, you have reactive oxygen species that's going to kill a lot of other things as well. Yeah, as if we don't have enough disinfectants already, right? But how many of them become activated with white light? It's unclear, you know, if this will be actually a very commercially viable substance, but certainly is a very uh, novel method and perhaps will have some particular uh, application somewhere down the line. Oh, cool. So uh, you think Clorox might be selling this free soon? Safe in your eyes, right? <laughs> Just like staring at the sun. <laughs> anyway, so this is not in our favorite journal, but it's uh, the American Chemical Society's Applied Materials Interfaces. Oh, Axony. Hmm. Has a nice ring to it. And that's all for a look at recent developments in the world of science and technology. This is the Grox Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, Dr. David Lee will join us to discuss biosolar. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the Grox Science Show. Well, the search for alternative energy sources is a major focus in today's society. Among the most promising is solar energy. However, despite the exceptional promise of solar technology, price and technological challenges have hampered its widespread adoption. Well, joins today to discuss this issue is Dr. David Lee. Dr. Lee is the president and CEO of BioSolar, a company exploring the use of renewable plant sources to create bioplastic materials for solar cells. Dr. Lee, thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. It is my pleasure to be here. Well, certainly our pleasure, and I think this is really a very fascinating topic. But I'm curious if maybe you can describe what some of the current challenges are for solar energy technology. 
Well, everyone knows that solar energy does not contribute to global warming. It's clean, uh, sustainable, does not pollute our air. It's generated wherever it's needed. You don't need any transportation or fuel or storage to generate solar energy. On the other hand, the cost differences between the electricity generated by conventional fuel and by solar energy has been quite substantial. And the good news is that over time, solar manufacturers have improved their design mainly by increasing efficiency and by reducing the cost of a powatt solar cell, that we are approaching a cost parity pretty quickly. I believe that within the next five years, solar industry will be looking at a similar cost of a solar versus a conventionally produced electricity. On the other hand, the challenge is still there. The cost of material is actually going up, including polysilicon, and also cost of plastics petroleum-based plastics, which most people do not realize that uh, solar panels use a lot of plastics derived from uh, petroleum. So that has been the challenges. What are maybe the alternatives then for addressing the sort of plastic issue of making solar cells? Well, our company, Biosolar Solution, was to replace petroleum-based component in the solar module with a bio-based component. We wanted to do that at the same time by reducing cost. Because as you know, this private industry, photovoltaic industry, as like any other business, it will be hard for them to jump into greener source of energy unless it pays them back in return. So we like to provide the both, make it greener and at the same time make it cheaper. I, I see. So how then do these plant-based biomaterials drive down the cost and are, are they more friendly to the environment? Sure. Traditionally, uh, bio-based materials, bio-based plastics development has been on non-durable side of the plastics. Mainly their use is to replace cups, forks, and knives, that which they usually throw away, or garbage bags, or grocery bags, that they want it to be uh, compostable after it goes into landfill. So their typical bio-based materials are not as durable as petroleum-based plastic. But what we are trying to do is to use a material that will not deteriorate in the environment, and they will last as long as a petroleum-based component, and at the same time provide the same or maybe better durability. And we are able to identify the materials uh, with a particular set of processing techniques and additives. We're able to make them durable and at the same time make it cheaper. Well, it is really very fascinating. I'm curious what kind of plants are actually involved in this process. Well, our first flagship product that's going to come out is called BioBackSheet which is to replace a backsheet component of a conventional photovoltaic module. Backsheet component is actually the uh, bottom layer of the uh, solar module, and its function is to provide uh, environmental protection, provide the uh, proper electrical environment so that solar cells can function as a solar cell, and also provides a mechanical uh, integrity for the solar cell. And the material that we're using for that particular component comes from cellulosic materials, mainly from recycled cotton, and also some type of nylon 11 that is dried from castor bean oil. Those are the two main components of the bio back sheet. So after the solar cell is kind of spent, is it more uh, than biodegradable or break it down a little more easily than conventional plastics? I believe in the long term that this bio back sheet material will be uh, uh, less harmful to the environment, but it is designed to last at least 30 years, just like any other component. So it will not be any worse than what is currently used, which uh, hydrofluorocarbon known to be harmful to the environment, which is not going to be the case uh, in our bio-based component. Uh, I'm curious what percentage of the solar cell can actually be made using this material? Typically, a conventional PV component called the uh, crystalline silicon modules 
they're probably occupying about 85 to 90 percent of the solar cell market uh, to this date. And in that particular set of solar module, about 20 to 25 percent in terms of material cost are the portion that corresponds to non-energy producing portion. In other words, it's a packaging material. Some of these are glass, some of these are petroleum-based plastics, and I believe, and to sum it up, maybe 10 to 20 percent of the solar module in cost, material cost or material-wise, it's traced to uh, petroleum. Uh, I'm wondering if maybe you can describe how the manufacturing process of these materials actually differs from conventional plastics. It is quite similar. The one advantage of that is we can use a, a conventionally available film processing uh, techniques and the facilities and machines that's already available out there. It differs because the material characteristics of these bio-based materials are quite different from petroleum-based materials. So the processing temperature has to be different. The type of ingredient you put in is different. In order to make it as durable as, uh, and maybe even more durable as a conventional plastic, there are some differences. But the mainly, the processing uh, techniques and the uh, equipment that's used are identical. How much do you anticipate the cost can be driven down by the material? We are targeting 25% cost reduction compared to the currently available petroleum-based back sheet at this time. And uh, will this level of reduction make it very uh, viable as an alternative in energy source? I believe it is, because even though the 25% reduction may not be much, but because of advancement that solar module technology has been uh, made so far, every little percent that they can reduce cost count at this time. They have done such a good job in increasing efficiency, and I think uh, it's harder and harder for them to reduce cost. And uh, bringing this new dimension of a uh, cost reduction will definitely be a substantial uh, importance to them. Uh, how much interest have you received from the manufacturers of solar cells? We have received uh, overwhelming responses ever since we uh, started talking about introduction of the product. We did share some of the information with uh, partner TV manufacturers, but we had not made it public as to who they are. But we are expecting to be able to make the samples available and information available to general PV manufacturer uh, public sometime in early 2009. Uh, this seems like a very novel approach. Uh, is this sort of a, a new approach that people have uh, been taking, or are other people also working on similar lines of research? I believe we are the first one who ever tried to marry the uh, bio-based material into a photovoltaic uh, component. We did a patent search quite thoroughly, and we haven't found anybody who ever tried to approach this way. Why do, why do you think that is? I think it's a matter of importance in the order of what technology businesses want. Most of the focus has been on making the solar module as fast as they can because the demand has been going up 40, 50 percent every year and they probably felt that the energy can be better spent by increasing their production because there is enough profit available there. Uh, again, do you think the technology will marry well with the uh, photovoltaics that are involved? I believe so. There are some challenges, though, that anytime there's a totally new type of material that's, uh, that's equivalent in performance coming in town, I think that requires a lot of people to, to test it to make sure they feel comfortable with it, because we're talking about long-term durability and product liability that corresponds to that. Uh, I'm curious, are there any other applications for these particular materials besides photovoltaics? Yes, I'm sure there are. Anytime there is a film uh, being used in certain applications, this can be used as well. However, one thing that's important is that these photovoltaic components are engineering polymer, meaning they are more expensive than other applications. When you're talking about uh, cheaper applications, this technology may not be able to compete well. So it has to be a durable application where existing cost competition is something that we can overcome. 
Do you see this technology becoming very readily adapted by the industry? Uh, we hope so, and uh, according to our study, we feel strongly that photovoltaic industry will be uh, willing to try it out and be willing to deploy uh, our product in the near future. But anytime there's a new component that's being introduced into the market, it, it takes usually uh, several months, maybe a year, for them to make the decision to jump in. What do you think of the uh, general trend in alternative energy research is going, especially with the new administration? Do you think there'll be more focus on developing alternative energy materials? I believe so. Everything I read and heard so far, it seems to point that way, but I guess the devil is in the detail. And I have a strong confidence that uh, well, America will make the right decision for our future. Uh, I'm curious, how did you yourself become interested in this? Well, since uh, I'm an electrical engineering major, and I have a keen interest in solar cells since I was in college, and then I started working for a much larger company than I'm in right now, and uh, I learned a great deal about bringing the technology into product world. And this is one of my dreams I had for a long time, but when I was able to meet some of my key partners, and uh, this idea just hit us, and not only that we are going to change the world by making the solar energy greener, but we were able to actually uh, make a good business out of it, and that was no-brainer afterward. Do you have any future plans, or what's next for your company, BioSolar? At this time, we are uh, trying to prepare a uh, mass production. We already uh, are in the pre-production mode using contract manufacturing, and we will be uh, production ready in next few months. But the actual introduction of the product will depend on the market conditions and the willingness of the PV module manufacturers to try to replace their backsheet component. We hope to be able to commercialize our first product, backsheet, bio-backsheet, in 2009, then we are also in parallel working on many other solar components that we can replace with bio-based material. And we will in turn uh, introduce them at the right time. Mm. Do you see research for bio-based materials going in other types of alternative energy sources? I, I think that is uh, certainly a possibility. And I'm, I'm sure there are other organizations who is looking at that. Uh, but the bottom line is the cost. If the cost can be similar or less than what's currently used, and I think there will be a motivation uh, from the business industry. But if the cost is higher, it will probably take much longer time for them to realize that. Uh, I'm curious, how much of the U.S.'s energy demand do you think can actually be met by uh, solar energy? So only about 1% of the total world general electricity de uh, demand is met by solar. So I think there is a room for tremendous growth in the uh, photovoltaic market. And I'm sure that's true with the American market as well. I think we're running slightly out of time, but uh, I'm just curious if maybe you have some final words regarding this whole issue. Well, I think that any time the new technology comes in, it's always harder than what most people think to be able to become a mainstream technology. So a lot of times that the new technology needs a push from government to get over the hump and reach profitability. So in other words, a lot of countries in Europe, I know that they have been extremely benefited by government regulations and tax benefit. But I believe that green energy industry will also owe it to the providers of the uh, tax breaks, basically citizens who pay the taxes, so that we can quickly uh, uh, get off that tax break and be able to be uh, affordable and even cheaper by uh, technology development. And I think that's our responsibility. How do you think the U.S. is comparing right now in terms of its uh, alternative energy development? I think we have been behind uh, last 10 years or so, and I think that Japan and Germany has been advancing much faster rate than we did. But I hope that they will, that trend will change, and I certainly believe it will change next 5 to 10 years.
we will be the leader in the industry, uh, alternative industry, uh, energy industry again. Uh, I really hope so. Do you, do you think public support is growing for the alternate energy sources? I believe so. I think Americans have waken up, and I think we need uh, uh, to focus our intelligence and energy to be number one in that world again. Uh, almost certainly true. Well, uh, this is really uh, certainly a very fascinating issue, and uh, Dr. Lee, I, I do want to thank you very much for joining us today, uh, talking about biosolar and all the fascinating developments going on there. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And you were just listening to Dr. David Lee discussing all of the recent developments in biosolar. This is the Grox Science Show you're listening to. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 and the world-famous Question of the Week. So, stay tuned. The sun is a mass of incandescent gas, a gigantic nuclear furnace, where hydrogen is built into helium at a temperature of millions of degrees. The sun is All right, we're ready to play the game. It is the Grokatron 5000. It is our supercomputer formerly known as Deep Blue. Today, the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic Sunny Skies or Cloudy and Overcast. So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know if you think they're under sunny skies or they're cloudy and overcast, and maybe a little reason why. Uh, Dr. Lee, ready to play the game? Sure. Okay, here we go. Person number one, sunny skies or cloudy and overcast, Paris Hilton. Sunny skies? Uh, she always seems uh, have, to have a smile, whether it's uh, gloomy or rainy, always bright smile. Right, seems very happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, number two is the Apple founder, Steve Jobs. Probably cloudy and overcast. I think that almost any CEO that I know uh, around me, we have been concerned about the general economy. Mm-hmm. We want to. We just can't wait until we can get back on the saddle and uh, be the productive company again. Indeed. How, how's the uh, current economy affecting your company? Uh, so far, it hasn't that much because we are not uh, in a production mode yet. But when we get into production, and I'm, I'm sure the economy will be a major part of that. Mm, indeed. Uh, person number three, sunny skies or cloudy and overcast, Mr. Environment himself, Al Gore. I think uh, sunny sky. I think that everything he's been talking about last uh, many, many years, I think he has done a great work and, uh, in uh, waking up people to reality of what we need to do. And I think uh, people are responding. People actually believe in the same, same idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> number four is the uh, talk show host, Jerry Springer. Well, I haven't watched him uh, for a long time, but I think he's in a groomy side at this today. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and finally, number five, uh, sunny skies or cloudy and overcast, it's the outgoing president of the United States, George Bush. I think it's a sunny and bright. Whether we agree with him or not, I think he has gone through a lot. And finally, the, he see the light end of the tunnel. So he can have some rest. <laughs> right. He's almost, he's <laughs> almost finished. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dr. Lee, I do want to thank you for uh, sticking around playing our game and, of course, talking about biosolar and all the very fascinating developments going on there. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. And it's now time for this week's question of the week. And uh, joining us here again is our very good friend, Forrest. Forrest Gump, how are you doing? 
Thank you, Charles. I'm doing great. Down in the south, we have a lazy summer afternoon. And you know what? It's getting longer and longer. Why is that, Forrest? Because, you know, the earth is slowing down as it ages. Mostly because of tidal waves and all that complicated stuff. But I'm just enjoying the longer sunshine. Because of that, we need adjustments to the atomic clock. We call them leap seconds. And that's why we need an extra second every once in a while. And this year, we just got one leap second. Well, the Earth can relax a little longer then. Well, thanks a lot, Forrest, for all your help. Enjoy your lemonade. And that's all for this week's episode of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Grox, you can email us at science at groks.net. For the Grok Science Show, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a happy new year and keep on grokking.